addendum. The uh, announcement for the simulcast this Friday and Saturday coming up this week. Uh, gentlemen, if any of you are available to help with serving some food to the ladies, that would be very helpful. You can contact me. I'll give you some information Friday evening, serving dinner, and then lunch on Saturday. And then we'll also need, we can have the building, uh, the room set up like we've done for our, our worship and prayer nights where we have rows set up right here and tables in the back. Uh, we'll do that on Tuesday night uh, when we set everything back up after the Alpha Course. But gentlemen, if any of you would like to help, please make yourself available and let me know. That would be a great help. All right, today's the first day of fall. Have you felt it? We're hopeful. We're hopeful, right? Well, I, I bring that up because we know that seasons change and you know, in the life of our church, we have had many uh, gems in the body of Christ who have participated in helping us grow into maturity as a church and grow into who God has us to be in this community, but, but to one another. Uh, and that list is growing today because Meredith Welch is actually moving to Baton Rouge uh, today to take a job. She starts tomorrow um, at a big, huge co uh, uh, hospital campus. Our Lady of the Lake, um, which is uh, like a really nice hospital now. I remember when I was at LSU, it was just like, oh, nice hospital. Now it's huge. But Meredith, I want to honor you to this morning because you have participated in, in making this church who we are. Uh, your intentionality and your care is so felt. And you have left a lasting mark on us that we have grown. Uh, it's been a joy to interact with you. It's been a joy to be pursued by you to find out how we're doing. And uh, You are a gem in the body of Christ. And we know as the Lord transitions you and you're going to bless a church in Baton Rouge hugely. And it's going to be great. So thank you for how you've invested here. Thank you for all that you've done. Yes. Just make sure you hug on Meredith before, before you leave. But let's go ahead and pray for Meredith right now. Lord, as we have uh, highlighted your grace in Mare's life, Father, we ask that you would continue to overflow her with goodness and grace and the presence of your spirit and your power upon her life. Father, we send her uh, into a mission field in Baton Rouge. We send her... Uh, as, as one of us to go be a, 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 an ambassador, uh, to carry the light of Christ into a, a lost and dark world. And so, Father, we ask that that light would shine brightly. We ask, Father, that uh, you would use her as we know it will be effective as we have felt and enjoyed. Father, you will, you will do that continually in her. But, Father, I pray for your peace and comfort to be upon her as a new season uh, is upon her. Uh, new living arrangements and new workplace. Father, we ask for your peace and your, your assurance and your comfort to be upon her that she knows with confidence that she's walking uh, right in the middle of your will. And when we're in the middle of your will, Father, we have grace to walk that out. So Lord, uh, our hearts are full with gratitude for the friendship and the love that we've experienced uh, in our relationship with Meredith. And we ask, God, that you would uh, continue the good work that you have begun, you bring it to completion and continue storing up glory upon glory upon glory as you minister through her life. 
we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you would please turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you find Samuel, 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 Kings, Kings, Chronicles, Chronicles, that's where you'll be in chapter 20. The the reason this passage uh, that may seem obscure is because it kind of is. But uh, in... And last week, uh, Joyce Sarang sent me an email uh, in response to my email letting everybody know about uh, this crazy thing on my lip, which has changed a little bit, kind of like closed up and maybe shrunken up a little bit, which would be very good for like margins, so they maybe not have to take so much of my lip. I can kind of still feel it in there. I can feel a little tumor in there, but... uh, but that was from our prayers last week, because this thing has been misbehaving until we prayed. And so that's, that's God's goodness upon us. But uh, Joyce, who has uh, battled cancer, uh, sent me a couple scriptures, and she said these might be really obscure because they're from Second Chronicles. And as soon as I read that, I said, this is just the Lord's humor and sovereignty all together. Uh, and she had a couple scriptures from this. She said, I just found comfort from these scriptures in this passage. Well, what she didn't know, and I emailed her, I said, I have been having on my desk for like the past two years. I, I have a, a little index card thing. It's got these little rings on it. So it, just as I come across a verse, I can write that down uh, to memorize, to refresh myself with it. But for two years, it has sat on a verse. So much so that the, the ink is now fading from it. It's turning purple. It was blue, now it's purple. And that verse is Second Chronicles 20, verse 17. Now Joyce gave me 12 and 15. I said, oh, I got 17 from that chapter. So this, that, that it was this the Lord, you know, the Lord's, and I, I will periodically go to that and pick it up and read it. And, and derive some comfort and assurance from it just in whatever we're facing. But it took on new life, of course, with a cancer diagnosis. And I went, this is so good of the Lord. So we're going to let you in to Aunt Joyce and me uh, enjoying this passage of this obscure Second Chronicles chapter 20 of Jehoshaphat's prayer. If you look at verse 1, well, it's a big chunk, 1 to 23. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Maonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face. Let me go back. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. 
Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before the Lord, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen. All Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head and his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Kohathites Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when they had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Father, we ask that in this passage of your deliverance and rescue and salvation of your people, we would derive comfort and peace, but most importantly, faith. To know that whatever battle we're facing, you are with us and you will bring about your good and perfect will. Change us in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
what we see in this passage and really all over Scripture is that faith has action associated with it. And the weirdness of the action is to stand still. Cease, uh, uh, be still and know that I am the Lord. Psalm 46. Cease striving is the original language. So faith looks like an action, but the action is something that we're thinking and feeling with God, not necessarily what we're doing. But we do have a responsibility with faith. When God calls us to faith, he calls us to a responsibility, to a response and a responsibility. We see a little of this in Romans 4, when the Apostle Paul talks about Abraham and his uh, understanding of faith, he trusts God's promise. God counts it to him as righteousness. And then Paul goes on to say, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, to to let you in, this is, I'm preaching to myself this morning, is just the easiest way to say that, because I'm not sure what it's like for God to fight my battles, because I'm in it. And I don't quite understand the fullness of it. There's uncertainty and there's concern and um, there's a, an anxiety that's, that's right there waiting to pounce. And I'm just, what does this look like, God? So I, when, I, when I read verse, I, this is just kind of like waterfall on my own soul as I've been preparing this week, but also this morning, um, just fighting a discouragement. It's been the weirdest experience to not know in the morning how I'm going to feel. I haven't experienced anything like this. Just battling discouragement. And I have confidence and I have promises from God to believe and stand on. I'm like, all right, God. But I just feel crummy right now. What do I do? How do you fight this battle? So I'm kind of this kind of real-time understanding as we're walking through this. But that's, this, this passage from Romans has always been a great help to me. He grew strong in his faith when he considered the reality of what he was walking in. Faith doesn't look like we ignore the realities of what we're doing. We're honest with what's going on. We're honest with how we feel. We, we're honest with the, the things that are facing us. We're honest with relationships. We're honest with things that are just too great for us to comprehend. God, how in the world are you going to show up? But we have to grow in being fully convinced that God's able to do what he promised. So let's consider some of his promises in Psalm 103. <clears throat> Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What are those benefits and promises? Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your, your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Those are some great and precious promises. 
starting with the forgiveness of our sins. Whenever we are tempted to, to panic in our lives, we have to remember that God has already accomplished and won the greatest battle we could ever face. He's died for our sins so that we would receive forgiveness. But there's a promise to heal all your diseases. Now we understand that sometimes as we encounter uh, life. God doesn't heal every single disease. Otherwise, no one would die. Death is a disease. It's been conquered. The battle, that battle has been won, but not everybody gets healed of every single disease on the earth. Now, God in his power, he lets the gospel be displayed by healing people and having such a wonder about looking at their lives that you go, how in the world did that happen? And we get to say as God's people, God did that. Because it brings glory and honor to him, but it also shows us it's little mini gospel presentations all the time. When God takes something that has death written all over it and redeems and cures and brings about wholeness and wellness, we understand that when we were dead in our sin, Jesus died for us in order to give us his resurrection life, that we, have, we are now new creatures in Christ, Paul says. So there's little mini gospel proclamations every time there's healing, and that's why we pray boldly for healing, and we, we pray in ways that don't, we, we don't, we pray sometimes to protect our own feelings, but we are to pray boldly, but there is an essence, there is a, a, a reality that not every disease is healed in this life, but we have all disease healed in the next life. Because we read about heaven, where it's the place where no death, no disease, no tears exist, no brokenness whatsoever. Everything is restored. Everything is made new. So for us to consider this, how do we trust the promise of God amidst the distressing situations of our lives? Now, no matter what the distressing situation is, whether it's something you may be battling physically, uh, spiritually, just things just don't go right in life and we're aware there's a spiritual battle occurring, or emotionally, mentally in our lives, what distress are we, how do we trust God in those, how do we trust God in those promises? Because I think that's what, what 2 Chronicles 20 helps us with. God calls for our trust in his power, in his love. In our passage today, and really so many passages in Scripture that I've listed just a few that we'll go through, he says he will fight for us. So what is our response then? What's our response? What's our responsibility to God's promise to fight for us? The first thing that we see in this passage and that we have to recognize in our own lives in the first several verses is that we, in, in, in the course of life and the course of the distresses and the battles that we face, we come face to face with our own powerlessness. When Jehoshaphat stands before the Lord, it's, it's in verse 12, but it's understanding. He's, he was afraid in verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid. And then he says to God in verse 12, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. What do we do with fear when it comes? I think we have to, as Christians, especially in the Christian life, we have to grow savvy with fear. I remember President Roosevelt, uh, after 
Pearl Harbor was attacked December of 1941. He says, the greatest thing we have to fear is fear itself. And I've always wondered, what in the world does that mean? How do you fear something you, you feel? But he's right. Because when we start to fear, and we feel it bubbling up, panic ensues, and then that fear like leaps on everything in our lives. So now every category is unsettled, every category is unsure, and I'm just afraid. Because it, it's got a life to it. But fear in the Christian life is not something that we should be afraid of. We don't have to be afraid when we're afraid. We have to recognize what to do in that moment. We have to respond appropriately to God in that moment when we are afraid because fear is going to come. Period, it's going to come. How we respond to that fear is what's important. This is my own little definition for fear. Fear is trusting in what we see, whereas faith is trusting in what we don't see. So when we don't see what God is doing, we don't understand what he's doing, we have limited understanding, we have limited knowledge of what he's bringing about, we, we don't see that, we're supposed to trust in the God who is unseen and who has a plan, sovereign will, that he's, uh, he's working in every man and woman that's, that's his. So he's working that. When I don't see that and I begin to recoil the fear that rises is I don't see what God sees. So now I'm going to try to shortcut it and manipulate it to try to figure out how I can get some comfort and peace from what I see. And that's fear. Then we just, we sow fear into things, uh, into what we're seeing. So we fear, we fear the unknown and we fear the uncertain. We fear when there's a great horde and we understand that the the great horde that Jehoshaphat is facing, they want to annihilate him. They want to annihilate all of the people. And that's, they're actually their relatives from uh, Abraham's relatives. Those, those three peoples that are coming against them uh, are the descendants of Lot and the descendants of Esau. Mount Seir would be the descendants of Esau. So these are, these are their blood relatives that are coming after them. Sometimes the battle is in families. What are we going to do? And how, how can we trust what God's doing when every day we're looking at misery? We have to be careful not to run off and find assurance and peace in what we see, but trust in what is unseen, that God is working. 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. So he, he connects this element of this temptation to fear with bodily suffering. This light, he, uh, earlier in that paragraph, he's talking about how we carry this treasure in jars of clay. We're broken. We have brokenness about us and that's the light that God wants to shine through us. He wants that light to shine through the brokenness. But he puts this, he says, hey, we, we, we look to things that are seen when we battle things physically. For things that are seen are transient, they disappear, but things that are unseen are eternal. Fear rises in us when our trust in God wanes. 
And fear reminds us. And I think this is a healthy thing, that not, not to be afraid of fear. Fear reminds us of our limitations and our weaknesses. Because there's, there's a uniqueness of how God interacts with us that he wants us to come face to face with our powerlessness. And choose wisely in that moment to go to him and not to, to have a self-fortitude or a self-sufficiency that we're going to depend on, our own bootstraps that we're going to pick ourselves up with. And again, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. This is the thorn in his flesh that he said. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness one of the paradoxes of the Bible that we just don't get. In order to be rich, you have to be poor. In order to have everything, you have to give everything up. In order to to see, in some ways you have to blind yourself to what is seen so you can see the eternal. You see that in the miracles of when Jesus heals the blind. But he says, this is a huge paradox. You are made perfect. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, I still don't know what that means. I still don't have that. What does that mean? Some well-intended family members, my brothers particularly, uh, when interacting with them over my diagnosis, they both said, you're the strongest person that I know. I went, what? Because right now, this is what I've been telling Kathy, what, I, I, I'm face to face with weakness. Just the word cancer brings, it's an inherent weakness with it. Like I, it's a great horde. I've got nothing to fight it. I can't figure out how to, build myself up to fight this. This really is something you have to do. But another component, when is there a paradox? When I'm weak, I'm strong. All right, Lord. Church, I'm still, I'm still trying to learn that lesson. I don't want to trust in myself because I know when I trust myself, then I'm, I'm, uh, that's when I'm looking for... I'm looking for things to trust in rather than trust God. But that's the promise I have to hold to. All right, Lord, when there's a weakness about me, you're going to show up and you're going to be there in greatness. We face great hordes uh, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And look, we know enough about God's sovereignty, and and he tells Paul, I'm leaving this horde, this this thorn in your flesh that is your great horde, He causes, he allows those things, he leaves those things to cause us to come face to face with our powerlessness so we will crucify our self-sufficiency. Because fear is to be replaced with faith. We grow in faith as we recount and rehearse the faithfulness of God. Jehoshaphat turned in uh, verse 3 that Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. He proclaims a fast. He gets everybody together with it. He turns to seek God's face. So in, the, in, in, in coming face-to-face with our powerlessness is God's wise methods for us to come face-to-face with his presence because in his presence is great power. 
But then we have to remind ourselves because we're fickle people and we forget. And I love how Jehoshaphat is reminding God. He's not reminding God of God's faithfulness because God forgot. He's reminding God of God's faithfulness because he needed to be reminded of it. And we have a gracious, caring father in God that says, he's not telling us, hey, remind me of how great I am because I'm so great. He says, remind me of how great I am because it will exalt me in your heart and then you'll trust me. You'll be convinced. You'll be fully convinced of who I am. So here, Jehoshaphat, he's recounting all of God's power and promises. God of our fathers. It's a promise of identity and, and longevity. God, you have been our God through the, the generations. And God transcendent, you rule all kingdoms and nations. You hold all power and might. None can stand against him. He makes room for his people to dwell in his presence by giving them a land. The sanctuary for his presence on earth was the place that God said, here is my name, here's my presence, that all the world can come and understand my presence. God's remi- uh, Jehoshaphat is reminding God but himself, God, you have fulfilled this promise to have a place for worship. And we are your worshipers. God, will you respond? Because you've promised that you'll rescue us if we cry out to you. That's in chapter 7, 1 Chronicles, verse 11. So he says, God, you're great, and you are great in your promises. I need your faithfulness to be here. And Joseph, that's honest about his own weakness. Verse 12, we do not know what to do. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. They trusted in what they knew about God, rather than what they were hearing about what was facing them. And that time of waiting is crucial. We often don't see the answer to our cries as quickly as we'd like. And we're reminded of the three in Daniel chapter 3. That trusted God's deliverance in the fiery furnace, but they needed to wait to see how God would bring it about. Remember in Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If, it, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He has power, and he will deliver us out of your hand. It's a promise, O king, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What faith are they describing? They trust God's promise to deliver and they understand the deliverance might be a natural deliverance out of this fiery furnace or ultimate, they might be looking at the ultimate deliverance that he will rescue us for all eternity. But what faith to stand there and say he will, he's able, he's powerful, and he will But if it's not in this fiery furnace, if it's not before your eyes, O king, understand that our hearts are joined to him. And we're never going to abandon that because we know his goodness. We know his faithfulness. So our faith, to go from fear to faith, is to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. He is faithful in all that he does. And he has been faithful in our lives. You know, one of the things I've I've recognized just in, in the course of walking over the past couple weeks 
you know, I, I'm able to, and God's given me grace in this, I'm able when my mind starts to go real far down the road, I'm able to remind myself of, uh, you know, I saved at 11 years old, I'm 43, so I have 32 years of God's faithfulness of his proven faithfulness in my life. So whenever my mind wants to race down to to tragedy or catastrophe, I can remind myself of all the ways, and I have been, of all the ways that God has been faithful to me and how that faithfulness has remained and it's there and it reigns back in my mind. So then I'm, I'm settled. God, you're faithful. So I can trust your faithfulness again. I can trust that you will come through. But look, if... Depending on how old you are in Christ, you recognize, uh, I need more examples of God's faithfulness. God wants to give us more examples of his faithfulness so we can rescue our minds. But then he tells, well, I love the fact that God's, God's word shows up when Jehoshaphat put his faith in God. And that's what happens to us. When we trust him, then scriptures, like, we, they connect to us and we feel that and we we're exalting Christ in the scriptures and we're connected. We have the peace, the peace and assurance that comes from him. But in verses 13 to 17, there's here, God is going to win. But look, he says, go up. Faith takes action. Go and face the great horde. Just like Abraham did that Romans 4 talks about. He considered the reality of what he was in, that his body was as good as dead. Because he was, he was too old to have a child. But somehow God would bring about that promise. The command is to stand and see. Same command that Moses gave to the people in Exodus 14. At, uh, standing in between the armies of Egypt coming from behind them in the Red Sea that was before them. Fear not, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. So there's a a stand firm, see the salvation that God will bring. But look, go face it. Go face, don't recoil, run from the great horde, face it in the, the, the power and promise of God. In the New Testament, we have these exact words to stand and see in Ephesians 6. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the, blade of, the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Stand. Look, the... Most of the armor for the, the New Testament believer is defensive in nature. Breastplate, belt, helmet, shield. Those are defensive. The only offensive things, the sword is the word of God. Prayer. So we stand firm 
God has given us. Those are all things. All the defensive things, well, all of it. It's what God gives us. He gives all of those things so we are clothed with his power and we stand. So in the midst of distress, church, I believe the Lord wants us to know this. In the midst of distress, we stand in him. Not in our self-sufficiency. We stand by faith knowing. It's just like we sang earlier. We stand knowing him. Stand on him. And then, which I think is my favorite part of this passage, verses 18 to 23, we stand and sing. There's praise that comes. Well, one, the prophet that speaks is a son. They, they, they have all of these things, sons, uh, sons of Asaph. So he's part of the, the ones in the, within the people of God that were responsible for bringing songs to people so they could sing. Puts them out there. Trying to find. Oh, first Jehoshaphat, uh, verse 18, falls down, worshiping the Lord. And then he sets, he, is, he says, believe God. Taking counsel, uh, verse 21. He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army. Now, remember, the army is not going to fight. The army is going to stand and see the deliverance that God will bring. How does God fight that battle? With worship. God fights our battles with our worship. Look, if you are, when you're driving around and you're a a talk radio person, it's very helpful sometimes to turn that off and put on some worship. Just because, look, you hear enough chatter in media, fear is going to rise because everybody, no matter what spectrum of the, what the end of the political spectrum, there's always panic that is associated with any type of news media outlet. We have to pay attention to this now. If we don't, our children will suffer and die. Like, not really. God's in control. But look, you have to understand what it does to your own soul. Your sports radio, not you just keep on going after that and it fills you to where you are just angry that LSU's defense is so porous, there's a problem. We need to step back from that. Kind of already given up on the Saints, huh? Don't have to use them anymore because they have a bad defense too. Look, we have to, I, I say that because years ago I gorged myself on sports radio, sports talk radio, and it was not helpful for my soul. I mean, years. And I finally said, I've got to stop doing this. I've got to stop. I'm, I'm not serving my wife. I'm not serving my family effectively because I'm, I'm looking at scores and I'm trying to figure out what the next angle needs to be. It's not helpful. But listen, even no matter what, if you, if you just put on music, we need to put worship. Worship needs to be a regular occurrence and discipline in the life of the believer. And we have some great worship that we, are, we have available to us. We have, we have worship that, one, this is what worship does. It speaks truth to our weary hearts. When we can't find the words to try to figure out who God is and how he is, songs help us do that. And there's one line in there that captures us and says, yeah, that's what's going on. 
Worship also gives expression for our souls so we can pour our affection back on God. It centers our affections on God. Worship is a gift from God. And it's, it's a battle-ready gift. So when we stand and we're waiting on God to see what he's going to do, we sing and we praise and we watch how God joins our hearts and we feel how he joins our hearts to him. And confidence and faith rises and we say, yep. And look, Jehoshaphat's uh, promise in verse 20. He says, listen, we believe this and you will be established. That established is confirmed, sure, to make sure. So we want assurance. Trust God. Trust God. Stand and see what he's going to do. Look, in the face of our powerlessness, trust him. Trust his power. Remind yourself. We remind ourselves of his power. We stand and watch his deliverance. We stand and sing of his deliverance that already has happened to us. He's already delivered us from the biggest battle. Church, he's already delivered us. He's already conquered our greatest foe, sin and death. He's already done it. And it reminds us that we have, you know, in this this, uh, component of weakness and strength, We see it in Jesus because Jesus is our wounded victor. We see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity, this is uh, God talking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise, bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So there's victory. He'll crush your head. You're gonna die, but you're gonna get a wound on him. We have a wounded victor that we then see in Revelation chapter 5. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. That's a weird I can't picture that. How does a lamb stand as if it's been slain? This would be a picture of a wounded victor. The sacrifice of that lamb standing in all authority and in all glory in heaven there's a recognition and a recognizable attribute of his standing that looks like that lamb has been sacrificed. That lamb has been killed. Church, that's Jesus. And no matter what battle we are facing today, we have the assurance that the ultimate battle has been won by our Savior. And with that battle that's won, we remind ourselves in song who he is how he is, what he has done for us. Listen, it picks us up. It picks us up. Now, we, in that like, time period of just, God, when will the deliverance come? When I'm looking at, still looking at the horde, that, the great horde that's in front of me. God, when's that deliverance going to come? Keep singing. Just keep singing because God will bring. And he's he's interested in our hearts, church. He's interested in our hearts first. He wants our hearts to be joined to him. So there might be a little lingering going on in the answer to our cries, a time gap. But even in that, that waiting, he's in the waiting. I forget what song says that. There's a worship song been going on in my mind. He's in the waiting. He's in that component. So let's pray, and we're going to sing. We're going to sing to edify our souls, to join us to the heavenly throng that continues to sing to the glory of God.
Jesus, who is our lamb standing as though he has been slain. So, Lord, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the reminder of your love and grace. Lord, thank you for the, the, the ways that we're still trying to walk this out and understand how you're calling us to walk. God, we want to be faithful in walking this out. We want to be faithful in, in the battle that we're facing. We don't want to manipulate or, or shortcut or short-circuit what you're doing. Just draw our eyes to you, God. Draw our eyes to you. We acknowledge and we confess this battle is yours. We trust you in this battle. We trust you in this battle. Bring about your glory, God. Bring about another testimony, more and more testimony of your glory and your peace and your assurance that you want for us. Oh God, we we thank you for the gift of song. We thank you for how it centers our minds and our affections on you. Accomplish that work, God, because the greatest need we have right now is you. The greatest need we have right now is to know that we are in your presence, never to leave, never to be kicked out because of the finished work of Jesus, our Savior.